this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is director Hassan Oswald, and we're going to talk about his award-winning film that won the 2020 Slam Dance Grand Jury Prize. Amazing. It's called Higher Love. I really enjoyed it. Welcome to the show. Hi, Janine. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. How does that feel to be a Slam Dance Grand Jury winner and then all these other accolades and other festivals? Yeah, it's, uh, it's surreal. So um, just a little background. We're a really young film team and new to, mm-hmm. to the industry, especially myself. I was a first-time filmmaker. I used to be an English teacher. So this was kind of my film school, this, 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 uh, this, project? this Camden film, Higher Love. Yeah, so uh, it was surreal. Um, and, you know, it's a shame that the rest of our, our festival run got moved online, but still we're proud of, you know, as you mentioned, the other accolades we brought home. Right. Um, but yeah, when they made that announcement, it was uh, pretty mind blowing. Wow. Um, I just want to mention the other festivals. So um, you're in the Brooklyn Film Festival. You uh, won the Spirit Award and Best New Director. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> Krakow International. Doc yeah. S, and that Delphine. was, yeah, that was. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And we had, yeah, we had uh, probably. I think we've been in 15 or 20 festivals now um, and five, five or six awards. Um, Amazing. And yeah, we're, we're wrapping that up, but we still have two or three more as well. How did this all come about? What's, how, did this, how did you decide to do this project? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, I, I wasn't even in the film industry um, leading up to this project. So uh, Camden is uh, where, where the Higher Love takes place and Camden, New Jersey is only an hour and a half from where I live in New York City, so you know I was a one-man team at this time with no budget, very little experience. So it was a movie that I could do. Uh, I realized very quickly that I was kind of in over my head. You know, Camden is known as one, if not the most dangerous city uh, in America. Year in and year out, um, you know, not only street street violence, but also um, it's uh, what our film covers is the opioid epidemic. Yes. So um, there's a lot of facets that I didn't really fully. Uh, take into account before I headed there with no budget and no team. Uh, just yourself. Experience. You just went just by yourself. Myself. Yeah, just knocking on doors. Um, and what initially attracted me to the city was so my father was from Camden um, back when it was predominantly white Italian, um, and that was when it was the bo- a boom town, um, kind of before this the fall of this American industrial dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was very similar to a Flint, Michigan, or Detroit. Um, it was Boomtown. And then uh, yep. when the factories left, it kind of crumbled. And so this was a city that I wanted to investigate. But also, uh, you know, if, it, if there's an issue in America, um, Camden's kind of like a petri dish. If there's an issue in America, it's taking place, definitely taking place in Camden. A reflection uh, you know, of what's going on. Yeah, very, yeah, a reflection at an exaggerated rate as well. At what point did Camden disintegrate? About what year was this? So this is uh, like the 60s. Um, yeah. it, it was kind of, and it, it began before that. Um, but the real uh, demographic change happened then. Uh, the jobs left and, you know, with this vacuum, with, with that vacuum, a lot of that was filled by uh, nefarious means. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, as I mentioned, it's pretty much an open air drug market uh, to this day. Where did the idea for doing this film come from? Obviously, you know, you said your dad, but what made you want to submerse yourself in this? 
Yeah, so it was uh, it was doable, as I mentioned, just because I had no budget. Um, mm-hmm. But I really so this film was actually called Below the Brine uh, up until you know one of our last edits, um, and that's at, after a Walt Whitman poem. Who Walt Whitman's actually from Camden, New Jersey. Oh, I didn't and know it's that. A poem of, yeah, it's a poem that um, that describes a world that takes place below the brine that nobody ever looks at, mm-hmm. uh, no one ever stops to see. So I, I felt like that fit Camden perfectly. You know, it's a drive-by. Uh, city. It's a flyover city. Um, if you've heard of it, if you're from the East Coast, it's definitely for. I'm from the East Coast. Effect. I have heard of it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure it's it's got a negative connotation. Um, you know, even myself, as I uh, when I drive in the region, growing up, it was always you know lock your doors, don't stop for gas here. Um, and so that's kind of why we opened the film in the way we did with kind of you know a radio show blasting Camden, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, I had an honestly a, kind of a morbid curiosity with the city, um, and I had wanted to go tell this story of post-industrial decay. Um, and it wasn't only going to be Camden, but once I got there, I realized that you know this. I, I fell in love with uh, the Camdenites, the people. Yeah. Um, but also. I found that it was a story that needed to be told. Um, you know, this is a world that very few people see. Um, yes. And so I decided to stay for uh, two and a half yeah. years. Do you feel like so many people just look the other way? Like they, they don't want to even think about it because they, because of the reputation. Definitely. Um, even so, you know, it, it is seen as, people kind of shun it and, you know, say that's a Camden problem or uh, why would you choose to live in Camden? Why, why would you, uh, you know, if you're a drug addict in Camden or someone's suffering from addiction, you made that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of attracted me to it even more because, you know, I knew that no one wakes up and chooses to lose their family, their, their, their life savings, their car, their house, and live in the gutter in Camden, New Jersey as a heroin addict. Right. No one makes that conscious decision. You know, there are steps that happen there, yeah. whether it's a cause of systemic neglect, um, which is the case in a lot of cities like similar to Camden, um, or uh, with the issues, you know, it's a myriad of issues. So um, that kind of, my view of Camden as kind of this petri dish of systemic neglect. And yes, opioids take kind of the main thread of this film, but really it's, there, there's a lot of uh, themes that you can kind of parse out in this film. Was it hard to get permission from people to be on camera? No. <laughs> so I didn't, as I mentioned, I was a first time filmmaker. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, probably I broke so many unwritten rules mm-hmm. and written rules about getting this done. But I think that was kind of how uh, how it turned out so well. Um, you know, I didn't yeah. have a budget. I didn't have anything. So I had to meet these characters where they were. And as I mentioned, these characters have, this city hasn't had a voice in 60 years, you know, 70 years. It's so sad. So, you know, yeah. So you'd think, yes, a lot of people, ask, uh, you know, ask me, why would they be doing, doing and selling drugs and admitting to all these things in camera? But I found that, you know, this film finally provided, you know, in, of course, at, at a very small level, but it provided them some bit of agency, these characters, to tell their story. You know, the city's mm-hmm. been ignored. These people have been ignored for decades. Right. Um, so, no, they, you know, they opened, they opened their, their lives and their stories up to me right away, gave me an incredible amount of trust that resulted in this, you know, kind of raw, uh, rare 
access that they granted me with. Um, and they, it was kind of from day one that they just showed me everything, whether it was drug use or their, you know, heartbreaking pasts. They just um, gave me everything. It was really heartbreaking. I mean, to step inside and see a glimpse of their day to day. How did you decide to, how did you pick the certain people and how did, how did that, you know, um, resonate with you to choose the people you did? Sure. Yeah. So um, it had actually started out uh, with probably eight different profiles, kind of vignettes that we were piecing together. And, you know, this was also my inexperience. Our first cut was five hours long and it, it was heart wrenching for me to cut anything. Finally, yeah. you know, we had brought on Kate, uh, Kate Plum, our amazing editor, who, who started to, you know, separate the good stuff from uh, the trash or not the trash, but the less compelling storylines. Sure. So um, I had met the group of uh, Nani, Iman, well, Nani and her friends um, the morning of, so one of those first scenes is at that motel um, where they're all uh, sleeping and injecting. And um, so I had met them first and I received an angry phone call that night from someone who I didn't know. And he was screaming at me, you know, who are you? You're exploiting well, uh, my girlfriend, uh, she's pregnant. And I, I, I thought, oh, it must be Nani, uh, who I had filmed. I was filming with a lot of people, but yes. um, Nani was definitely one. Who, you know, she's a pregnant, a beautiful pregnant uh, woman who was working the streets of Camden. So obviously sure. there's, there's something to drive a narrative thread right there. And I knew that. Um, but I was terrified. And he said, well, let me meet up with you. I was like, all right, I, I can either go meet up with him or I leave Camden. So yeah. I met up with him and that turned out to be Daryl, the protagonist of the film. And uh, yeah. he, he said, well, uh, you're going to show her side. Let me show you my side of the story. So okay. his side of the story was, you know, this decades long of, you know, every day, every other day, searching for Nani and through the streets of Camden. And now it was that kind of the tipping point because she was pregnant with her yeah. child. So right away, I knew that, you know, this, this is like almost like a script, mm -hmm. the way this is coming together. So, right. uh, you know, and Daryl himself, you could push a, an entire, you know, series. He's very charismatic, well-spoken, loves yeah. to talk. Uh, so, and we're actually working on a scripted version of this right now, uh, based on Daryl. So uh, I knew right away. Excuse when me, I did he Darryl. have eight kids? Yes, he has, uh, Darnaz is his eighth kid. Um, they're all grown. So the, second, the youngest is uh, now 18. Okay. Yeah, and he's very supportive of uh, financially and uh, he's a great father to them seven and they try him mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, he struggles with it. So Darnaz was kind of uh, a new start with a, obviously a much younger child. Um, that was the plan. For, for that child, yeah. uh, for Darnett. And, you know, I don't think he anticipated the resistance of Nani to kind of turn things around. And so he, he had thought that Darnez would change Nani's heart and she would, you know, see something would uh, click and she right. would give up her, her addiction uh, in order to save their son. Um, so yeah, it, it's a frustrating, you know, it's cyclical and you kind of want to scream at Daryl sometimes, but yeah, um, you know, it's the love of his life for the addiction last is so deeply embedded in you, whether it's genetically, whether it's just everything you've been doing all these years. And, and it's so sad to see her in this yeah. state. And I'm thinking, what led her? What's her backstory? What led her to be an addict? It's yeah. so sad. 
Yeah, and she, I mean, she explains it briefly in the, the film um, that she comes from a, a, a lot of a childhood filled with a lot of trauma, yeah. uh, a lot of physical abuse. Um, both of her parents were addicts. Her father died with a needle in his arm, as Daryl says. Mm. It. Um, so uh, it is, you know, and she says, I think it was in my genes to want to get high. And there is that aspect of it. And then, you know, yeah. she was grew up in a city like Camden, where uh, that is right at your fingertips um, uh, on right. every corner, on every stoop. So it's a bad combination. Um, and yeah. you can see that where, you know, Daryl is struggling to leave that cycle of his own addictions and uh, hopefully, you know, start something new. And, and he succeeds somewhat. And she's just, you know, kind of unable to just break out sure. of that addiction. And yeah. Most, you know, most people are unable to break out of that addiction. Right. What, um, when you wrapped the film, you must have felt like a different person having submersed yourself in this environment, in this story. In a sense, it's sad thinking what's going to happen to these people. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was my first film. Um, and you build relationships with your characters, whether whether you plan to or not, or whether the viewer may see them as uh, finishing the film in a positive light. Right. And they give you a lot. They give you a lot of time, you know, unpaid time. They give you mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, I always say if, if someone wanted to do a documentary on me, it'd be really hard if the camera was turned because, you know, look what Daryl opens up to on camera. Look what these people open up to on camera. They give you a lot and um, it's hard, you know, I'm on red carpets and doing press runs and you leave whether, you know, it's very hard to not leave your characters, even with the best intention, you leave them where you found them. Um, you know, Daryl and I have a great relationship. We talk a lot, but you know, there, I'm moving on right now. I'm in Turkey on my way to Iraq. I'm on my next project mm -hmm. uh, and I'm doing a press run for higher love. And he's kind of, uh back there and they are all are back there so it is tough yeah. building relationships with these people and then um somehow justifying moving on whether or not the film is successful whether or not they're portrayed in the best possible light um it's difficult so you know i left this film uh um kind of in no man's land of i didn't know what the protocol was i knew that these were my friends but i also knew that yeah. I had a career that was just starting. Yes. Um, and so it, it's really hard to keep the balance between your characters, especially characters who are in dangerous situations, you know, Darnez or Nani. Right. Um, it was hard, but it really did prepare me. Uh, I always say that one of the first interviews I had in Camden was, um, he, he was talking about, it didn't make the film, but um, he was talking about how, uh, you know, if you wake up and you're not from Camden in a street, you'd think you're from Iraq, you think you're in Iraq and how, you know, all the politicians are all fighting about what's going on in the Middle East and mm -hmm. trying to rebuild and give them democracy. Meanwhile, this American city that built the American dream is crumbling. Um, and then without even knowing it now, three years later, I'm back and forth between Iraq. Um, and that was mm -hmm. kind of a sign for me that, you know, it really prepared me for this next film. Sure. Um, it's, you know, I had uh, dealt with a lot of, or am dealing with things that might be, you know, described as PTSD things mm -hmm. uh, from my time in Camden and kind of, I jumped into the fire over there. 
uh, you know, whether it was the numerous, you know, over, overdoses or just drug usage or uh, the stress of being in such a dangerous city. Um, it really prepped me for this film in Iraq. <laughs> and I always say that, you know, I, I'm much more, I'm more readily, uh, or I'm more willing to go to, uh, I would say even excited to go to Iraq uh, back and forth. I've been there five times now okay. um, than I ever was for Camden. But I give that not to Cam Camden being this kind of hellhole of, of fear and violence, just that I learned so much there. That was my film school as a first time filmmaker. Wow. Um, I learned, you know, not only the, the technical aspects of filmmaking, but I learned, you know, how to deal with uh, characters and how to build and, and fortify these relationships, uh, how to leave these relationships, how to not make false promises. Um, and it really helped uh, make this next uh, film, you know, what it hopefully, I, I sure. think it will be a special film. Is your next film a documentary as well? Yeah, so the next film uh, we're wrapping now. Um, I'm in Turkey, uh, headed to Iraq and, and then Syria next week. Um, so it covers the Yazidi genocide and um, captives who were taken by ISIS uh, as predominantly sex slaves back in 2014. And wow. there's still uh, 3,000 of them still in captivity. So we're working with a team of volunteer rescuers who are trying to bring these kids home from ISIS captivity. That this is amazing, Khan. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's exciting, and um, yeah, yeah, we're happy. Could you? Did you always want to be a filmmaker? Maybe a little piece of you years ago when you were never, never. never. I was. I went to a Waldorf school, which uh, means you're not even allowed to. Have, we didn't have a TV in our house until my teens. I wasn't allowed to watch movies. Uh, I was never like a big film buff. I always say like I. I didn't even. My favorite movie was Waterworld by far which is like a, 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 a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, was that Kevin Costner or something? Yeah, Water Kevin Costner, yeah. yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I would just rent it. I would be allowed to watch one movie a month until like my teens and I would always rent Waterworld. Um, so I had no film background. That um, is sad. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, but I, I always liked storytelling. Um, yeah. I, was, I studied creative writing and journalism in college. Um, and I moved to Thailand after I graduated and then to Spain and Germany as an English teacher. Um, but I, I always kept this kind of uh, urge to tell stories in the back mm -hmm. of my, my mind. And I would take little travel videos and do little street interviews. And that definitely provided this kind of spark into documentary film. Um, and once I found it, I thought this, is, this encompasses everything that I've ever wanted to yes. do. You know, yes. whether it's I, uh, I'm very comfortable uh, living abroad or traveling nonstop. Mm -hmm. um, I love being on the road. Uh, it's obviously storytelling. It's yeah. a creative medium that, you know, we're in. I learned everything on YouTube uh, and through podcasts. I didn't you really? know, have any formal training. I learned editing and uh, sold my blood twice a week to buy cameras. And what? Uh, yeah. So I did it uh, like a very guerrilla gonzo style. Um that you know everything if you want if you want to enter film or whether it's you know you want to learn guitar or baking like there's something online there's definitely yes, something online definitely. to learn how to do it so yes. that's how i learned editing um and uh cinematography and then just kind of production was always there as kind of my uh, storytelling background where did you go to college by the way villanova university right okay. outside philly mm -hmm. yeah 
and I didn't, I mean, I didn't have any, I had made, I didn't have any urge to become a filmmaker. I had made one of those travel videos I made about the, uh, uh, the, the refugee crisis. I went to the Greek islands when the Syrian refugee crisis was happening. Okay. And um, a few famous people tweeted it and National Geographic saw it. And I still wasn't, had no intention of working in documentary film. I was making little stupid travel videos. And I was supposed to, I kept, I got into Columbia to do my master's in education and I kept deferring it because uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. And then um, National Geographic saw, someone tweeted it, National Geographic saw it and hired me the next week uh, to go film for them in the Middle East. And that was kind of my- And you had just learned filming on YouTube. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. So I had- I, I, you know, ser- I still have imposter syndrome, but that was serious imposter syndrome. Yeah. Uh, but the crew I was working with, working with was amazing. Um, I ended up not only shooting with it for them in the Middle East, but um, continued with the crew back in New York. Uh, and the editor and producer and higher love are from that same team. So uh, I learned a lot and, you know, took some of the team with me as well. Amazing. Let me ask you this before we wrap up, because my show sure. is called Get the Funk Out. Mm-hmm. And I always like to ask when you are feeling down about yourself, whether it's imposter syndrome or anything personally, professionally, what do you do, especially right now with COVID, what do you do to stay positive? Like, do you have any kind of routine or something you do that you say to yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, um, I shouldn't be in the kind of position I'm in uh, as far as film. I, I, I didn't in a very, in an industry that's built on a kind of, a unmoving hierarchy. Uh, I didn't really pay my dues, um, which I know rubs a lot of the uh, the old heads uh, the wrong way. Um, but I kind of overcame that by uh, faking it till I made it. Not only in Camden, where you know, if anyone asks me uh, when I'm filming Higher Love, I had no idea what I was doing, but I acted like I did. Okay. Um, and I've carried that with me for everything. So. Um, Wait, excuse you know, me. Was it also yeah. when you started filming, you didn't have a clear vision of the end goal of the film and then it kind of evolved or did you have a clear idea of point A, point B? It evolved. No, I had no idea. Uh, ah. I just, I thought I would go and film a concept of like 30 minutes, mm-hmm. have this awesome thing and go back to New York City and find funding. That never happened. I thought maybe I'd make, it would be episodic. Yeah. Um, that never happened. Uh, so the end product was kind of a surprise, although I believed in it the whole time. I mean, that's kind of what I was just talking about that uh, I kind of believe it's not manifestation or, you know, the secret or anything, but uh, I believed the whole time that that film was going to be, or that project was going to be successful. Um, I never really had a doubt that I was going to be able to at least make it, at an entry level position in film, no matter how hard it'd be to get there. And then that ended up, you know, I skipped a few, a few steps. Um, but I'm, um, every morning, I guess, um, uh, grateful, grateful, but also incredibly positive, especially with, uh, with what's going on with COVID. I mean, it didn't change that much as far as we're a small crew. We don't have mm-hmm. that many issues. We're not, we are slowed down by COVID as everyone is, but, um, because, you know, I wear all the hats as far as editing, or I can wear, now we've got an amazing team, but uh, I can edit, I can 
we all can edit actually we all can shoot we all can produce so um we're very uh, yeah we we're, we're not slowed down by the pandemic good. at all good yeah so where can people find out more about you and the film Sure. Um, me personally, well, they could just, if they go to, uh, the website is higherlovefilm.com. Um, and that's Higher Love Film on Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, Instagram is our most active and we do a lot of really cool uh, kind of behind the scenes stuff of uh, not only my mishaps in Camden, um, but also a lot of behind the scenes as far as characters that didn't make the final cut uh, okay. and kind of shots of uh you know, this dilapidated American city. Uh, so that's our love film on Instagram. And then from there, uh, I'm linked as the director to uh, my personal page. And I'd love, you know, to connect with anyone, whether they're in the film industry or just general. Uh, I love, we, we have been doing Q and A's now for almost eight months for our festival run. And I used to hate it, but now, you know, I really appreciate uh, people who come with questions and people such as yourself who give uh, Fantastic. platforms. Well, congratulations. And it, it is exactly where you're meant to be is where you are. You know, you've got to yes, get rid of I, that. I'm sure you're done with the imposter syndrome thing. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I think I keep some of it as like a chip on my shoulder uh, to continue to, uh, you know, work harder, work harder. More. Exactly. Yeah. So I probably am done with it, but um, I'm keeping a little bit of it. A it little keeps bit of you humble. It keeps me keeps humble, you humble, yes, and hardworking. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much. So you called in from Turkey? Yes, I'm in Ankara, Turkey now. I've been here for about two weeks, uh, and uh, we're just wrapping up this film. So we should have another one to talk about in a few months. I would love that. So keep in touch and let me know. Yes, definitely. Thank you so right. much for having me on. Congratulations. Thank you. Nice meeting you, Hassan. Nice to meet you, too, Jean.